welcome everybody. Um, we got a guest in person. How are you doing, Denny? Very well, thank you, gentlemen. And yourselves? Yeah, no, all good, all good. Just a uh, had a bit of a bad neck, but shout out to uh, Jigsaw Therapy, uh, Deck Foley. He's just just come from there now. He's just put my neck straight on and feels a lot better now, which is I do. I can actually move and turn and see both of you rather than like I'm on a, a stick. But <laughs> no, all good. Other than that, so for everybody that's uh, listening and watching, uh, our guest today is Denny Champ who is uh, one of ours at, uh, at Wimborne Rugby Club um, and an all-round inspirational guy, which I'm sure <laughs> we're going to come on to. I don't know about that, but thank you very much for the introduction. No, no, no problems at all. I think, um, well, we kick off with our usual warm-up and we'll chat a little bit about rugby. I think uh, team squads come out today. What did you think to that, Jay? Um, I thought it was good to see... Well, I, I was disappointed to not see people like Ollie Lawrence in there, to be honest with you, because I think he's been playing really well and probably emotionally as well. You know, it would have been good for him as well. But um, overall, was really impressed with the squad. Um, as a Northampton fan, I think we're looking quite thin now. I think we've lost our, our nine, our ten, our six, a centre and a winger. Um, so I think the rest of the season for us is going to be interesting. But... You know, Northampton have got a lot of young players. But no, it was great to see. I mean, how awesome is it to see Dan Colbeck in that squad? Like, well, he's been out for such a long time. We were chatting and about this before and in. we had mixed views on it, to be honest with you. He's, um, you know, he's he's come back in and I'm a big fan of his, don't get me wrong. But at what point do you say you really got to invest in the, the youth coming through? It's difficult, isn't it? I think my opinion would be different on it. If it wasn't a World Cup year, I'd say, well, he's the best tight head in the Premiership at the moment. So why would you not pick him? But actually, injury-wise, and is he going to go all the way to the World Cup in a, you know, what is it now, nine months to the World Cup or something like that? Like, is he, or, or, or you know, in hindsight, actually, is the time for developing youth next year and is the time for just picking the best players that are available right now the time this year for the World Cup? I don't know. You can look at it two ways. I think if I was, if I was Steve Borthwick, I'd pick Dan Cole because he is the best tight head in the... Um, in the Premiership at the moment, and you're in a World Cup year, so you want your best players on the pitch, really, don't you? And he knows he's been in a lot of World Cup cycles, hasn't he? I think they have to acknowledge that actually. For you know, what's he going to contribute to someone like Bevan Rod and stuff like that? And you know, look at Carl Sinclair, look what happened to him at the last World Cup and stuff. You know, how I'd probably say Carl Sinclair's your first choice, isn't he? To he'd mm-hmm. probably start for England and then he'd have Dan Cole on the bench to come on and sort of like Jason Llewellyn did in 2003. But... It's a solidifier kind of things. Or, or on the flip side, you could start with Dan Cole and have Sinclair coming off. Yeah. Bench. You know, it's, it's a rotational game though, isn't it? It is, it is a squad game. But, really. but Danny, what do you think? Um, yeah, we're talking about a World Cup year, so there's a lot of pressure. Do you think it's good to go in with experience or perhaps not so much experience? What's going to affect you so much or, or what's going to pay off it think, seems like he's hedged all, his bets but yeah i think it all depends on what sort of team team you, you are really if you're if you're one of the big guns and you, you've got guys there that have been there done that seen it and know how to handle the pressures of that experience and it's not going to work to have a couple of them in there mm. you know someone like dan cole and I, I i'm not around the england squad on a day-to-day basis i don't know what he brings to the group in away from the pitch but you could have someone that's that's 
contributing massively to the wider group and the and the well being of the of the whole um, mindset of everyone mm. without actually doing too much on the pitch. Mm. There was a um, an NRL grand final a few years ago. Cooper Cronk, he was injured. Didn't mm. do anything. Didn't do anything in the game. Mm. Just coached basically from from a playing point of view, and they mm. won. Mm. That's all he did, you know. So, someone we we, we talk about Dan Cole, but you might have a couple of other older heads in there that contribute more off the pitch and in the top two inches than they do with their legs. Mm. Mm. Right, you know, look at pops don't do a lot anyway, do they? Really? <laughs> well, no, I'm a hooker, but uh, trying to be a hooker. Um, but you know, Dan spot on. You know, you look at like those sort of people they have around the thing. You, know, I look back to like the Lions tour. You look at things like that when they brought people in, you know, someone like um, James Haskell, like they brought him in when uh, Billy Vinopola got injured, not because of his playing. They, you know, in Warren Gatlin's book, he said he was nowhere near, I had the flankers I needed, but what I needed was his character in the squad. I didn't need his playing attributes at all because he wasn't yeah. anywhere near on my radar, but we picked him for his personality because it's a long tour away from your family. So, Billy, Billy Vinopola has not made this cut either. No, I think... I think he's done. I think this will be his last season at Saracens as well. Um, I think he'll just from, you know, you look at the signing of of Willis for Saracens. You know, that's quite a big signing for them, um, especially with the back row they have. Um, and well, they're not getting rid of Ben Earl, are they? They're not getting rid of Theo McFarlane. So who's going to go? I think it's going to be Billy, isn't it? I'm glad Ben Earl's made it. Oh yeah, hundred percent. It's a joke ben that he hasn't hasn't yeah, been here for a long it's time. It's ridiculous, you know. I always think he was a little bit, maybe they were thinking he's too similar to Sam Simmons mm. because they're both very pacey back rows. But mm. I know, I, I, think, I think there's a space for both of them. 100%. I think Ooh. the back row you'd have to go at the moment. I think the only person who upsets that is Alex Dombrant. But I think the best back row England could pick at the moment is probably Laws at six, Earl at seven, and then probably Simmons at eight. I think that's the best back row that England could pick at the moment. Um, Tom Curry, obviously, we'll see how he does with his injury and stuff. But I'm not. Is it Tom Curry in the squad or Ben? Ben Curry's made it. Mm. Who's who's the one? Who's the one that's played most? Tom Curry. Yeah, mm. he's he's injured. Yeah, and the other yeah, one's yeah. made it. Yeah, but I mean, again, you know, Ben Curry is very similar to Ben Earl. Well, very I did. Similar. I did hear someone say that. Um... They thought that Ben Curry hadn't made that much of an appearance because Eddie Jones just didn't like him. But mm. I don't know how. I mean, of course, you got to defer to the boss. The boss is the one that picks it. Mm. Um, to see him get, you know, picked is is great for all of them. But yeah, um, it does make you wonder how much of a. I mean, we've talked to um, uh, the likes of Mike Ford. Yeah, and um, very much a case of understanding a player and having a relationship with the player with regards to what you're trying to build as a squad. Mm. Um, th there's got to be a lot of, a lot to do with mm. actually, you, I, I just don't see you fit in my vision maybe. Yeah. 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 Or, or do you waste two spaces on fundamentally the same player? They even look alike. Well, don't exactly. they? Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Mm. You know, they've got the same attributes. They're exactly the same. So if you, if you, if you, if you're looking at it from a wider perspective, do you bring someone in with a bit more pace? Someone mm. a bit mm. heavier, a bit mm. heavier ball carrier. I don't know, something a bit different. Which is why I think, I think, I think what they'll go for, actually, I think the back row is what they'll go for. I actually think they'll go 
um, Laws, Earl, and I think they'll probably go Don Brandt for the exact reason you said, for a bit of weight. Yeah, yeah. To be honest with you. but And then they'll have Samson come off the bench. But then Audier, I mean, I get he is very good at six, but I personally think the best secondary option we can pick is Atojo Laws. But I'd we, go Atojo Laws. Yeah, 100%. And then you could pay Earl, Don Brandt and Simmons. But they're not going to do that, are they? But but then we don't know, actually, because, you know, because they could do something something completely different to us. So I think we're so used to going, they're obviously going to pick a second row of six because that's what they do. But we'll, we'll see. So we, we put um, uh, a, a little thing out on Instagram asking people who they wanted as the the New England head coach uh, mm. before, obviously, Borthwick was picked. Um, and to be honest with you, it seemed quite um, strong towards uh, Ray, Razor Robertson. Yeah, I'm guys, no you know, you, you listen to anybody that's in the pro sport environment and there's a reason why he does so much guest like, you know, consulting for other sports and stuff like that. That bloke knows how to run a culture. That bloke knows how to run a club. And, you know, because he's so good at creating an environment, would he be wasted in an England setup? Because it's not a way around, is it? You know, is he best suited for, is he is most impactful at club, well, I think that argument went out the window as soon as he did barbars because mm-hmm. people came out that barbarians camp, which is such a short thing, and they said it all exactly the same thing. And uh, Ronan O'Gara as well, they said how amazing that was. New Zealand were never going to let him go because he is going to be the next All Blacks coach, and you know we know that he's gone and had conversations with the RFU and stuff, and because they weren't, well, from the sound of it, they went to Steve Borthwick. Leicester said, "You're having a laugh, aren't you?" No, he's just won us the the prem, like, and he's just we signed a contract extension, didn't you know? And the RFU were like, "Oh no, we didn't know you'd signed a contract extension." Actually, no, that's fine. We'll go for Scotty Robertson, and then New Zealand went, "You're having a laugh, aren't you?" He, he's our next All Blacks coach. You're not having him either. So they signed him immediately, not even to a club or even to New Zealand. They signed him to the NZ RFU, mm-hmm. so he's contracted to only coach in New Zealand. So then they went, right. Um, Leicester will just go and give them more money. And then obviously when Borthwick went, well, I want I want Sir Kevin Sinfield to come with me as well. They were like, ah, so that's a lot of I mean, Leicester are a very wealthy club right now, aren't they, with the amount of yeah. money they've just had from the RFU. So it's a good thing, Kevin Sinfield. I think yeah, I was more excited about Kevin Sinfield coming on board than I was Borthwick, to be honest with you. He's he's a you know, he's he's got an incredible ability to just get the best out of people. hundred mm, yeah. percent. And and then you can't underestimate the appointment of Nick Evans as well mm. because that is a big you think how loyal he's been to Quinns how many people have gone after him it's I, only on a short term thing though isn't it for now for the first six weeks yeah because I think I think again Northampton going to miss out and we're going to end up I think Sam Vesti is probably going to end up going because obviously he's joint DOR at Northampton at the moment I think long term he was Leicester as well wasn't he Sam Vesti was for a bit yeah he was yeah 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 so I think you know, reading, you know, sort of listening to the rooms you hear, I think in the end, I think the coaching team will be um, Borthwick at the top, Kevin Sinfield as defence and Sam Vesti as attack. And they'll probably just keep Richard Cockrell in there for the laughs. And that's pretty much an all Leicester coaching team, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I, hope, I hope it doesn't go down the way of, it's not just Leicester, but anytime you get one team, yeah, you know, like like the whole coaching team comes from the same sort of stock that they play the way that Leicester played, yeah, yeah, yeah. or they play the way that Bath played, they play the way that 
Saracen paint. It doesn't matter. You know, bring something different. Bring a, a mixture of stuff in there. That's why I like the idea of having a Southern Hemisphere or, or European different European cultures mm-hmm. like to bring new things, to bring more to it. I think the massive news that's dropped today is Eddie Jones. Eddie Jones, yeah. Yeah, Australia yeah. head coach. Again, we were chatting about this while we were waiting for you to turn up, Jay. Whoops. Because um, we were all on time. Um, yeah, five years contract. Just done. It's like, come on, come back. Mm. We would we were discussing and I'd heard I'd heard people say from uh, from the Australia side, um, that Eddie Jones had spent too long at England and he'd done the same before. Mm. And that he does all his good work in short stints. Yeah. And Australia are giving him a five year contract. Granted, like you said, uh he's taken over the, the women's team yeah, as well, the, it seems. The Wallaroos. Um yeah. But yeah, is um, is five years too long for an Eddie Jones, or is it just the right length of time? Well, there's what no way that do? deal's come out of nowhere, is there? I think he was lined up to go to Australia as soon as he finished England. Five years is a weird time to have a contract because that's a, a World Cup cycle and then a well, year. That's a weird time. It's it's basically like you can have a free shot at this World Cup, yeah, and then you get a Lions tour because you get a Lions yeah, tour. Yeah, yeah, it does. Well. Yeah, yeah, and then you can have the Build up to yeah. the next World Cup. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent. I think what you know, we should never have ever gone down the route of that contract extension. But then you look at it, Steve Borth. They have always wanted Steve Borthwick, haven't they? Ever since Eddie Jones has gone, he's your man to take over from me when he first came in and and did that stuff. And he is a very good RFU man. And you have to, you think the RFU have been burnt for so long because first time they didn't go. At Lancaster was a very RFU man, and then the first time they went for something completely different, it's burnt them in the press. It's burnt them. Yes, you know, got them to a World Cup final, and you know, lost it, and in twenty nineteen. But then they have also equaled the run for the most wins in a row. You know, yeah, that's not, yeah. and and that was under Eddie Jones, and that, and you know, you look at his. That was that was from the very outset. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, he, yeah, yeah. he didn't lose a game leading yeah. on from there yeah, yeah. for those for those 18 games well this is it goes back to what you're saying is he good in short stints mm. and then you'll have other people i'm a, you know as we've said before i'm i'm pro eddie jones i actually like his coaching I style i've seen the, the stuff he's done the stuff in his community i've listened to his coaching podcast i've read his book i like i like him and so just get that, that out of the way straight away but what people will always say in contradiction to when i give the argument well, they went on the unbeaten run, didn't they? You know, they equaled that. That's that's some achievement under Eddie Jones. They go, oh well, that was just off the uh, the bed that Stuart Lancaster laid. Uh, of the the worst World Cup that England have had, or or the first yeah. host nation to go out in in the pool stages, yeah, what, uh, and still are the only one. Yeah. Or you know, um, going back to Australia, like you said, Danny, he's kind of got a free shot at this World yeah. Cup. Yeah, it wasn't you, nine months. You said, wasn't it? Yeah, nine, nine, nine months. months. Do you think you wouldn't expect anything from New Zealand, uh, from Australia this World Cup? Do you think it's it's going to be just a a stab in the dark and see how they go, or are they formidable enough to go? If you give them a free reign, they might actually Aust- achieve. Australia always turn up, don't they? Yeah, they, they do. They always turn up when it matters. Um, but in the same note, I can't see Australia getting anywhere near the winning no. this time. No. I, I think you're looking at. Well, I think the first game is France, New Zealand, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah, I think that'll be the final. Do you? Yep, yep. And that's not me going against England or anything like that. I just mm. think 
if it was to be played tomorrow, I think them two teams, because New Zealand are New Zealand, aren't they? But I think France are so far above everybody else. I think Ireland... Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what Ireland doing. depends so much on Johnny Sexton. Mm. Um, hopefully they can get out of that a little bit so they turn up a little bit. But are they peaking too early? Mm. Well, this is the thing that... I think a big thing for Ireland is can they ever get past the quarters? Mm. You know, they never do well at World Cups, do they? They just, you know, it doesn't matter how good they do. Like you say, do they always peak too early? Do they get it wrong? And I think I think Jonathan Sexton being injured at the moment is a good thing for Ireland, I, I think, because it gives them a chance to look at another option at 10. Because at the moment, it's like, do or die on him. And you're yeah, spot on. But what who, do they do who, with that? Who have they got? Well, this is the thing, isn't it? Who have they got? He's been top of, he's been top of the game for so long that everyone's like, well, you know, do I want to play 10? I might as well go and play 12 because I ain't yeah, going to get in at 10. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Might as well put on four stone and go and play in the back row. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. reckon there's a vacuum there? Well, possibly. Possibly. I think saying about England taking on Eddie Jones and having a, you know, a, a free run at this first World Cup, I think England must be in the same camp in that we've got Borthwick come in and we've got a World Cup in no time. We've got Six Nations about to kick off. And um, is there enough time for him really to make that difference in one Six Nations and then straight into a World Cup? I think there's no excuse really, is there? You look at look at the sort of premiership and what he's got and that squad he's picked, I'm pretty sure we could rock up and coach them and still get some decent performance out of them because of how good they are. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of... To be honest with you, I think a lot of this this stuff... And we, I know because of like how like you know perhaps it bleeds in from like football culture and stuff. But we pin so much on the coaches, so so much on the coaches. But actually, a lot of it has to be down to the players, and it has to be recognised as: are they putting the best into it? Are they getting the most out of it? Because at the end of the day, the coaches, yes, they pick the team and will always hold them accountable for that and pick the squad. But that squad he's picked, you could pick a very good 23 from that, a very good 23 that should deliver on paper no matter who the coach is. So I think it needs to be, if it does go wrong at the Six Nations, which it very well could, we need to not blame it on him, blame it on the on the players because that is an incredibly good squad. And like mm. you said, mm. there's nowhere near enough time to change everything that he wants. Yeah, I was, I was, I was reading the other day that ordinarily you're only allowed to change five players out of the elite squad. Mm. Each time, each time you you pick a squad, you can only change five mm. from the time before. I think he was given special dispensation to change more than five, yeah. and I don't know what the numbers were, so I'm just speculating. But if we sat down and analysed it, it'd, yeah, it'd probably, you'd probably be more than five. I would have thought because yeah, it was given a bit of special. But why not? It's his, it's his new squad. Let him change all of them if you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're yeah. not gonna. You're not gonna pick a completely new fifty or thirty-seven or whatever it is, are you? Yeah, because yeah, they're. Yeah. Fundamentally, they're they're in the best that that window of the best players in the country. Hundred percent, yeah, hundred percent. Well, I think um, warm up enough. I think we kick on with our first half. Um, Super warm, yeah. It is in here actually. I'll put a hoodie on. Great that one. <laughs> um, so, uh, welcome, Denny Den Champ. Um, a little introduction to everybody who doesn't know him. Um, ex-elite Royal Marines, toured in Afghanistan, Iraq, etc. Um, around the Middle East, worked in close protection, personal mm-hmm. trainer, um, founder of the Start Your Day on Purpose movement, which I'm yeah. a big fan of. Um, 
Wimborne uh, RFC first team, um, ex first team as yeah, well. About a thousand years and four knees ago, yeah. or whatever it was, yeah. And sitting there like a specimen, um, <laughs> and seeing as actually we're really kicking off in the states, um, sporting a Miami Dolphins t-shirt, which is going to go down well as well. I think. Yeah, yeah. My the second Dolphins, team. If yeah. I had to, if it wasn't for rugby, I think I'd be uh, American football and Miami yeah. Dolphins all the way. Yeah, but I like it. I like it. I like. It. I can I can appreciate it. Everyone says, "Oh, it's two stop start, two stop start." But when you get more into it, you you, you can appreciate it. You know, these guys are big guys, and they are they are proper athletes. Mm. You know, forty yards in just over four seconds from a standing start. Yeah, that's quick, and they're big guys as well. Mm. I went yeah. up to um, I went to Bristol Stroud College just to uh to see some of the stuff they did. And they've just had a a million pound NFL football pitch put in and like they've got an NFL academy there and they just they feed directly into like colleges at um in America and stuff and you said that a lot of them the people they have are failed rugby players that get yeah. rejected out of Bristol Academy and failed athletic champion hmm. people that are trying to like athletic athletes that are trying to athletic athletes that do athletics um that are trying to get into that like are sprinters or good throwers or stuff like that it's just they do take some absolute specimens, don't they? The the squads are enormous, the money's enormous, um, and yeah, there's a great opportunity for anybody to go that's got some, like you say, some serious pace, some yeah. ability to want to just go and mm. make the hits as well. It's um, it's an impressive sport. Um, but we're a rugby podcast, oh, although yeah. we although we do love love our American cousins. Um, so Danny, thank you for coming on the show. You're welcome, thank you. Um, just want to get a bit of a, a background on on yourself yeah um when did you get into rugby so i started i started watching rugby because i grew up in essex and we, it, there's there's more rugby there now but there never used to be when i when i was a kid it was all football and um i used to watch rugby with a welsh bloke welsh bloke bruce patterson and he used to play for my stick he was bare of man but i used to sit with him and what i watched the the five nations as it was then yeah and and the rugby on like a Saturday afternoon in the pub. And uh, then when I joined the Marines, I got the opportunity to play a little bit of rugby. Mm. So I just turned up and luckily enough, there's a couple of lads. Mini Me, who was the, he was the Scottish under 23 scrum half in his time. And Lenny Vutaki, who's dead now, big, massive Fijian back row. And Mini was so good that when I was playing, he'd say, right, then he's coming through now, just hit him. And Lenny had shown me how to hit someone, so I just hit him the way Lenny showed me to do it, and I looked brilliant because Lenny Mini was coaching me on on the on the pitch, so that was a, a bit of a bonus. And so coaching from international players. Well, no, he, yeah, so well, that, yeah, I suppose yeah. so. Yeah, yeah, I was playing with him because yeah. it was for inter unit stuff. Yeah, and we had a we had a decent team, and I went down to the Navy sevens, and we won the sevens and Akatiri tens. The team won that, not not my team. The other Marines team won that. Um, so yeah, we did we did we did quite well. And then I started playing rugby league because rugby league is like the perfect Royal Marine sport because you just fit and you don't mind running into each other, you know. So I'm, I'm, I made I made the Royal Marines representative team for rugby league. Really? Wow. Yeah, yeah. And uh, every year you play the Trafalgar Cup against the paratroopers. Oh, wow. So Marines against the Paris every year. And uh, 2011 made that team. And we did uh, a 10-day training camp with the Leeds Rhinos. Oh, wow. 
So, because Brian McDermott was a Royal Marine. So, yeah, he, used to, he, he took us, Jimmy Lowe's took us. We did strength and conditioning with uh, James. I can't remember his name. But face-to-face -face with Jamie Peacock in the corridor, that man is enormous. Mm. Enormous. You look at, oh, I'm here. <laughs> You're like, whoa. But the speed, the speed that they do everything for, with is just phenomenal. You know, for, for, for everyone listening, you know, if you haven't seen rugby players training and playing up close, you don't, you can't grasp how quickly they do everything and how mm. quickly they move. This is phenomenal. But I, I loved rugby league. Mm. I loved it. And, and obviously when I started playing, I, I, I moved down here, came to Wimborne and, lucky enough to play seven years here did you move down here with the marines yeah yeah 2006 i moved down here so i started i started playing then and whereabouts were you with the marines in pool hamworthy yeah uh, yeah yeah draft out hamworthy was that a special boat service no no no. it was attached to him it was okay. attached to him but uh yeah it was good It was good i went away with them a few times played rugby for them yeah 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 played some good games had a couple of games against the officers. Boot match. Boot, that's, a, that's a game. That's a game. Good mem good memories. Good memories think, thinking about it. Yeah, I was lucky. I was lucky. Lucky I played some good I could play a good standard when when really I was quite quite young in the development of of the rugby game. Mm. So how old were you then then when you started at the Marines? What when I went into the Marines? Yeah. Twenty two. So I was a little bit older than than some, but I think that did me a favour, really. Yeah. But I only ever wanted to be a fireman. When I was a kid, that's all I wanted to be was a fireman, and and I went on the building site. So well, I left home and left school at sixteen. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Went on the building sites. Um, fit as a gypsy's dog when I was running around there, and I wanted to be a fireman, but they weren't recruiting at the time. Essex and Essex and London fire brigades weren't recruiting, so I thought, well. I'll join the military for six months in my naivety. Oh, yeah, six months and then it'll be all right. I'll go and join the fire What's the hardest thing I can do? So it looks good. And then the old advert comes on 99.99% need not apply. Right, I'll do that. Mm. And that's the only reason I joined the Marines. Just because you wanted to be that? Just because I wanted it to look good on the CV for the fire brigade. And I thought, well, that's it. Got to do it now. Because so many people tell me, oh, you can't do that. You can't do that. Yeah, I can. And I will. And I did. And how long were you in? Ten years. Did ten years in the end, yeah. Trillion thing here. Yeah, I did ten years. Came out two thousand and twelve I left. And that was tough. What to come out? No, was it because you said you wanted to do something that looked good, but you said the advert was ninety nine point nine nine percent, yeah, because well, that's an actual statistic. At that time when it came out, out of the thousand people that went to the recruiting office, only one of them got a green break and they all wow. all fall off for various reasons you know some people might fail the medical before you even get in some people might fail the the academic tests some people might fail the background tests there's a myriad of reasons why people you don't even make it down there but out of the 56 of us that went down i think seven or eight of us passed out oh, that's good yeah, yeah. Now, you and I had a chat a while ago, and you told me about your um, your assessment, your um, having to do your 
obstacle course. Oh, the test. Yeah. Yeah. And you said yeah. you had an extra special uh, <laughs> tough issue. Well, roughly about sort of week 12, 13, I, I, I felt a pain in, in my groin that I just thought was a bit of a groin strain. So you carry on, carry on, because because the fear of having having to get back trooped or or dropping out, and uh, got through to week twenty six, and you go on the first commando test, which is the endurance course. So you walk out the four miles, do a two mile assault course, and run back, and you've got to do it in seventy two minutes, and then shoot six out of ten at a target. And on the way out there loads of tree roots and everything like that i just i just stumbled and put my foot down and i felt a sharp pain in me in my right groin this time mm. and it, it, it was pretty bad so running around did the assault course got through on the way back to run back there was a, a royal marines major tinsley major tinsley and uh he said you will make this if you stay with me and i stayed with him and i made it by nine seconds mm, wow did did the shoot went down to get my targets and I just couldn't, I just couldn't walk. And Steve Curley, versus oh, he's dead now. He had to piggyback me back to the, to the accommodation because I couldn't walk. And I ended up having scans and everything, and I fractured my hip. Oh shit! On the way out there, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's mental. Yeah, but they did all the X-rays, and it worked out that I'd fractured the other hip in week twelve as well. So I was the only person at the time who had a bilateral stress fracture neck of femur and pass out yeah wow Watch. jesus well put me back a year i needed a i needed operation i had a residual plate and screw so they put a big plate on my thigh and screwed into my into the neck of the femur the ball and socket joint and but then it was easier than the second time yeah but yeah <laughs> <laughs> no it not easy but yeah so yeah we got got through that and you know there'll probably be a a bit of arthritis in there and something later on in life, but it's all right at the minute. My knees are more now. So, so during your time, were you? <laughs> did you play rugby when you first joined the Marines, or was that something that you had to qualify to get into the? No, Marines? no. So through training, you don't play it through training or anything like that. But as soon as I went up to four or five in Scotland, we was just throwing a ball about me and my mate and and. Gaz said, oh, mate, we're doing trials in a couple of days. You, you come along. Yeah, I was. Went along, did as I was told, turned up, listened to Minnie and Lenny and did all right. Made the team. But yes, I think if, you, if you're interested in something, you pick it up so much quicker than you. Yeah. And if you, put the, if you put the effort in, no, I, I think if you put the effort into anything long enough, you get good at it. Mm. I don't care what it is. I don't care who you are. You do something enough, you'll get good at it. I agree with that one. Mm, possibly. Who, who do we have on that was talking about the amount of hours it takes? Was it Baz or James? They are talking about how many hours it takes to perfect a skill. 10,000 hours. Yeah, something like to that. Be, to qualify as a master is 10,000 hours. Yeah. Really? Of active practice. Which I think did work it out once. It's something like 10 years at three hours a day or something like that. Hmm. Wow. Something like that. And that was the first time you played rugby then when yeah. you went into the Marines? Yeah. And you just fell in love with it? Loved it. Loved it. I loved it before I started playing hmm. it. 
But then when I started playing it, it was, it was good. Really, really good. Because, you know, obviously you were fit anyway. So you didn't have to worry about the fitness side of things. You mm. just concentrate on what you're being told and the skill aspect of it. Yeah. Not that I ever had any skill, but I was fit enough and aggressive enough to 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 get me around that, mm. around them uh, problems. Eh? Mm. And was it mainly within the forces you were playing? Because I know years ago yeah. when I was, was at Grove, we played uh, one of the guys at Grove was part of, I think it was RF Benson. And yeah. we ended up playing uh, friendly pre-season against the RAF. Well, I, jo I joined our Brove. Okay. I joined our Brove rugby team, which was all bootnecks anyway, mm. with, a, with a scattering of of the uh, the locals. But we used to we used to have a, um, we used to, the clubhouse was shared with the cricket team, and the two and the two brothers that run the cricket they'd take it in turns. One of them would be the president, one would be the chairman, and then they'd swap every year. Complete monopoly on it all. But they they were they were born in England. I can't remember where they were born, but obviously grown up in Scotland, thick Scottish accent. Mm. But they were born in England. Right. So, and I just got on well with them. So I was always the last to leave with them two, drunk as a skunk usually. And <laughs> but yeah, they took me under their wing, and it was good. I, I liked our growth. A bit grey, but yeah, it's nice. Good. Uh, it, it was a good little club. I think they're. I looked them up the other day. Caledonian Midlands Four or something. Sounds impressive. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> so you moved down to Poole. Yep. And you found Wimborne. Yep. Yeah, I wanted to carry on playing rugby. So I just, I just, I literally Googled it and Wimborne came up and I liked the kit. That's why I came here. <laughs> that is, that's why I came here. Oh, brilliant. So could have been, could have been anyone if I had a better kit. Testament to the kit, then. <laughs> there you go. What you, what five was ten that? or whoever it was. Was that, was that what it is? I don't, I don't know. Was it five for ten then? I don't know. It might be on the on the wall if it was five for ten. Max, do you remember what kit it was back then? What year were we talking? Two thousand six. It was it was the big heavy black ones. Yeah, it was the big heavy black one. But yeah, all, all black and because of the all blacks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. That'll do. Good work. Yeah, there we go there. You certainly made a mark when you landed anyway. <laughs> den size den. That's it. A lot of stories I don't think we will um don't think we'll delve into too much. No, but, no, uh... I don't know how PG this needs to be. We can't we can't tell too many. <laughs> so you were here then for the rugby, straight into the first team? Uh, because you'd been playing I with think, Marines or I think I played I think I played three or four games for the seconds. First game was against Puddletown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. First game was against yeah. Puddletown, and um, Huggy Dave Huggins came over and, and watched it, and he liked it. He liked what I did, and after a few games, I, I can't remember. Who, I think it was Hooper Avon Tiles or someone like that. We had it was a double head, and we played them on the Sunday in the cup. So we played on we played on the Saturday, and then we had to play in the cup on the Sunday. So I went up on the bench, Jesus. and then from there I. I stayed in the first team then. Lack of numbers, I think. <laughs> Funnily enough, I was speaking to um, uh, some of the guys just to get a bit of a heads up for this podcast. How was Denny when he was playing, when you played with him, blah, blah, blah. And I was speaking with Lee Coolin. Yeah, yeah. And he said, um, he said, to be honest with you, you went in a flanker. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. It was me, Bl well, me and Lee. Yeah, I was yeah. side. Lee was open side. And uh, I think Lee's words were... Um, he just told Denny where to go and what to do, and he just went and did it. And that's it. So, that's, that's, that, that was me. But I was I was lucky. I had Lee and Charlie Morgan. 
And I think Charlie went through the age games with Bath. And obviously Lee, Lee was brilliant. Yeah. He was a brilliant player. He's got such a good bloke brain, Lee. And then Jason as well. Um, who else was in the team? Oh, King and Miko. A few young lads. A few good players. Russ. Russ Tinsley. Russ Tinsdale, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Jason comes down on a Wednesday and chucks the ball around with the fat dads. <laughs> a bit of touch on a Wednesday night. Um, I had the pleasure of playing with Lee at Litchit uh, yeah. a few months ago yeah, for the yeah. thirds. He um, just happened to have his kit in the back of his van. Yes, always handy. Uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, he jumped on. But uh, yeah, he's a good player. Good player, Lee. Aggressive, really mm. aggressive, but hard, hard, but a good player. Mm. And you know, you, I think. It, the, the games, it's a different game now than when than when we used to play. But you know, you could go in and you know there was no such thing as a higher tackle then. And you know, Lee's coming in behind you to 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 mop up if you if if you, if you get walloped, you know. Rucking was rucking back then. Yeah, there was a ref. There was a ref. Oh, I expect you to ruck ferociously. He used to say ruck ferociously <laughs> oh, all the time. I can't remember his name. Lee will tell you his name. So when you come out of the Marines, this. When you came down to Paul, you were at Paul for a while. Yep. When you came out of the Marines, where did you, where did your career path go? So, when I came out, I, you you give a year's notice when when you when you leave. So all of your transition and resettlement is done before you leave. Yeah. So you can pretty much go straight into it, and and I'd I I had a lot of leave built up. So I went. I was supposed to leave in the June. Um, straight after Christmas, went to Norway, came back mid-February. I had a couple of days just handing my kit back, doing my leaving routine, uh, leaving routine, and that was me. I was done then because I had all the leave built up, so I could do all my network and everything before I actually came out. And uh, Baz, Baz Campbell, he had a mate Brods who was doing CP up in London, close protection, and he said, and he knew that's what I was going to go into. So he said, oh, go, go, and, go and see Brods. Have a chat with him. So I went and met Brods. And we got absolutely <coughs> smashed together, like annihilated. Mm. 1,500 points of Guinness that afternoon. <laughs> and uh, two weeks later, he rings me up. He says, look, then, because uh, he, he, he looked after the son of the guy who owned the Indian Premier League cricket in London. Mega, mega money. Mm. So, but he had a very good reputation, so everyone was ringing him up all the time. And uh, he said, I've had a phone call to look after the princess of Dubai. All right, no worries. Um, and I've said, you know, I want, I want, I've, I've told him I've known you for ages and, and you're brilliant. So go, go along. So I went along and there was five of us turned up. And we're all, we're all sort of getting in the car, going out, doing the reckeys, everyone that ever gets back. And the, the area manager, so to speak, is, is waiting there. He goes, right, she doesn't want five guys. She wants one guy, one woman. The woman's coming tonight. I can't remember the bloke's name, but he was he was down to drive the car the first day. So his name was on the manifest to drive onto the pan at the airport to pick her up. So right, you're staying, everybody else, thanks for coming, but you go on. I weren't that bothered. Easy come, easy go. You know, I just got in the car and, and drove back. A few days later, the, the guy rings me up and he says, um, then, th this is the guy who's driving the car who got stayed on. He goes, I got my clearance through to go to Iraq on the on the private security in Iraq. I've told him you're the best guy at the rest of them. 
So they want you to come back. They're going to ring you up tomorrow. So I went back and I did three months with her through the summer, through the summer, summer Olympics, 2012 Olympics. Mm. So it's just polo and lunch and watching Olympics and stuff. Uh, brilliant. And then from there, you got that on your CV. It's really good then, isn't it? So I got invited to go and interview for Mohammed Al-Fayed's team. Mm. So I went there, got that, stayed there for just over a year. Just over a year. And, and he that's when he started slowing down, not doing too much. So I said, I said to the um, Will, the the security manager, I said, "Look, mate, the job, the way the job's going for me now, would be nice at the end of my career because mm -hmm. I'm not doing much. Yeah, but it's not for my beginning of my career, so I'm going to leave." And I did on good terms because you don't burn your bridges unless you're a really good swimmer. <laughs> and uh, I went and worked at uh, the Olympic Village when it was transitioning from the village to housing. Oh, yes. So I went for work for a security yeah. stroke logistics company. And then I got asked to go back to Mohammed Al-Fayed's team to look after his son, which I did. And then his son and his wife had a baby. So I moved on to the baby as well. And yeah, it was a really, really good job. And I was there for another four or five years, I think, with them. And then uh, I left there and went to work for a Qatari lady for a year and a bit. Still in England? Yeah, yeah, in yep. London. In London, yep. It was just her her and her two twin sons. Um, and in the end, I just, I started becoming a bit disillusioned with it all. You know, you're doing 19, 20 hour days. Mm. And I said to her, I said, look, no, fuck off. You know, I'm tired here. I'm out till excuse me, two o'clock in the morning with you. And then I'm up at six to to get over to do the school run with the boys. It's getting a bit, yeah. getting a bit much, you know? Yeah, but then I don't trust anybody but you. Mm. Well, that's cool, but I need help. And, and I, I always think in that, in that environment that if you haven't got the moral courage to stick up for yourself and say to you, you're not happy, have you got the courage to potentially put your life on the line for these people? Mm. You know, you roll over and show your belly to them. You're going to roll over and show your belly to somebody else. Yeah, yeah. That's what I think anyway. So I end up leaving. Again, didn't burn my bridges. Still, still message. She still messages me now, all these years later. And I came back and I said, right, I'm going to do anything until the right opportunity comes. And I thought the right opportunity might be a security manager on an estate in the New Forest or something that I could commute to, you know. So I just went, I went tiling just in the interim and started a tiling company, took a couple of guys on, did quite well. And then my my best mate, Steve, he's a, he's a plumber by trade. So we just started doing bits together and then expanded to doing full builds and it's gone from there, really. So I'm a builder now. Good work. Fair Not play. that I know anything about building, but <laughs> Steve, Steve does. Yeah. I'll just ask him. And, and that's where we are now, yeah. So talk to us, um, uh, because those that do or are already linked up with you on Instagram, and for those that don't, it's 
Den Champ. Yeah, just Den Champ. Um, Plain and simple. Den Champ or whatever it is. Yeah, Den Champ. Um, you spend most of your time in the shower singing. Yeah, um, we do a bit of shower singing. We do a bit of color rest. Yeah. But talk to us about your mindset behind the start your day on purpose and, and why and where it's come from. Well, it, I was in the bath. I was in the bath one day. And for me, because it was such a big part of my life to get up early in the morning and do fizz. When you're in the military, first thing in the morning, just do fizz. When you're in the CP, first thing in the morning, do fizz. Because the only time you can guarantee they're not going to be up. Because mm. if you're a billionaire, you ain't got to get up at six o'clock in the morning. You never do. So they're all up at like nine, ten or whatever it is. You can get up early to do your fizz, get it done. It's the only time you get a chance to do it. And I always think that if you do fizz first thing in the morning, before you're tired, before you're stressed, before anything else, you can put 100% into that fizz. Mm. Now, if you like doing fizz, but anything you like doing, you want to put 100% into it, didn't you? If you do it first thing in the morning then you can guarantee you can put 100% into that. And that's the way I see it. And I thought to myself, all these people that, you know, they 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 work, they live on their own. And then they get up in the morning, they go and do some PE in the morning. Then they go to work. All their friends are at work in the office. Then after work, they might go a couple of beers and dinner in, in a restaurant or something with their friends. And then they go home to the cat or the dog or whatever get their head down, do it all again the next day. Mm -hmm. Now, that lockdown took that all away from them, didn't it? Yeah. And they had nothing. So what I wanted to do was, I don't know if it's inspire, motivate, whatever the word is, tickle someone's elbow just to get up and do something. You know, if they go out 10 minutes, a little run around the block, get in the garden, do something to stop yourself becoming a prisoner in your own four walls. Mm -hmm. So that's how that all started. And my brother's mate, who's a psychologist over in Essex Tanner, he's, he saw it and he rings me up and he says, look, then let's, let's get this going and sort of make this a movement. Mm -hmm. So yeah, let's do that. You do the awesome. work, I'll be the face. <laughs> and that's where that came from. Yeah. No, I love that. Um, and I've been following you for a, a while on that. Yeah. yeah. The same vain because um i remember talking to you early days about when you know when i was running through the be more rugby ideas um and the whole idea of and and this is something that both jay and i talk about regularly on the pod is having a reason to go and do something having a goal to achieve um all these rugby players that go out you know they're not just they don't just rock up on a weekend and play a game they're working towards it and they're getting up every day and they're putting the effort in every day and and having that reason to get up and go and do something keeps people, actually keeps people alive. 100% mm. I believe. If you don't have a purpose to get up in the morning, then you're just going to rot and, you know, and die. Yeah. But uh, so, yeah, really, I really do love your, um, uh, your start your day on purpose movement. Yeah. Yeah. Want to see more of it too. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and and I, I started off saying, right, build a habit. It takes 28 days to build a habit and 66 days to become automatic. So I say, right, get up moving. Then tomorrow, move a little bit more. Next day, get in the car and go to the gym. Go for a swim, go for a walk. Doesn't matter. No one cares. Nobody gives a shit what you do 
because it's for you. Now, I don't care if you run 10 miles or 50 miles. I, I, I care that you're doing something. I care that you're happy. I care that you're all right. But it doesn't matter how you're all right. And, and I think it's, we can't judge ourselves by the same standards as everybody else, you know? Mm. If you, you might be a marathon runner. I might be able to run 400 meters. But we're both putting that same effort in, both getting the same out of it. You know, can't measure ourselves as somebody else's ruler, can we, Jay? Mm. True story. True story. Well, we've been doing, um, uh, at the academy, we've been doing um, a bit of player profile just to help the lads develop, etc. Yep. And uh, the profile we're looking at, individual elements in the profile, say, for example, sake, it might be passing. Yep. Um, and that passing's one to four. But we say to the lads, when we've given them their feedback, don't be comparing this to the next guy. Yeah, yeah. Because you might only be a one on your passing and he might be a three. Yeah. But it might be that you're marked because you've got three times more potential than the other guy. So yeah. why would they mark you as a, a four because you're better and then you've got no potential? You've got to give them that ability to, to go on. But Absolutely. But it's all about them and their standards and what they can achieve rather than where am I compared to everyone else? Yeah, it's, especially especially in the kids' age groups, you know, when you're, when you're 16, 17, 18, you look at, you look at your mate, you're like, oh, you know, is he faster than me? No, I can take him. Can he throw the ball further than me? No, I can do that. But I, th I think healthy competition, like that's brilliant. Mm -hmm. I like that. I don't don't like the idea of not having competitive sport in schools. Is it a lot of accountability when you're in a team as well? Yeah. And when you're um, when you're going out on the weekend, we talk about um, Jay. You know, tells the lad tries to motivate him, the lads uh, and say, you know, you got to help each other. You got to get everybody down to training. You got you know whatever. But mm. um, there's there's a lot to be said, like you say, for healthy competition, but also putting yourself out there and saying, I want to be a part of the team. Um, and then having to step up for everyone else, not just yourself. Yeah, yeah. Well, from, from from the competition point of view, I think that's good because you push each other. You push each other in training and in the military. You work, you train hard, and then you test easy. And if you're training hard through the week, individually and as a team, then when you're coming together as a team, you only got half a job to do, isn't yeah. you? Yeah, no, you're right. On the weekend. And that you just got to concentrate on the team bit. Because that individual stuff, you've pushed each other individually, so that becomes automatic. And then all of a sudden, right, I've got to bust my ass to get over there for Jay because he's gone He's gone on his own. He's taken that crash ball individually. He's got no support. I need to get there. You know, you need to get to the breakdown. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of accountability, especially in rugby, especially in rugby, because there's so many different aspects to it, isn't there? Do you think that's why rugby is such a big sport within the military? Why they, you know, they play their games at Twickenham to, at the end of seasons and that sort of stuff? Do you think it's because there's that ability to build teams, camaraderie, and all the rest? Yeah, yeah, and you know, and it, and it's it's a competition within a team as well. The Army Navy, you know, everyone's in the same British forces. You'll have Army guys sitting next to Navy guys and. You know, so everyone's drinking together at the end. I've never actually been. I'm going this year, but I've never actually been to the Army Navy game. Oh, yeah, it, all, um... it always fell the day after the presentation here, the players' dinner here. So I was never in a fit state to go. 
<laughs> no, I've been uh I went once and don't remember much of it. I think it was the double it was the most recent one actually. It was the um one that Sam Matavesi from Northampton played yeah. in for the Navy. And um yeah, he he was brilliant and I think the army just won it in the end. I really thought the navy were gonna come back and do it. And then it was like the army versus the navy women's afterwards and the army spanked him like heart and I don't remember any of that game at all. I was absolutely bollocks. Yeah. Just just gone. But what I couldn't I couldn't believe how many people don't come into the stadium. How many no. people are just out there in coaches getting absolutely George, bladdered? George and... George Wilkins, he was in the Marines for twenty five years. Yeah. Eighteen years he went, didn't make it in once. Yeah. Didn't make it in once. But they ch- they've changed it now, haven't they? They can't drink out in the car park, I don't think. Oh uh, really? I think they've changed it, yeah. So so everyone goes in now. But yeah, there's so many people who've never never even gone into the stadium. I honestly, there. I couldn't believe it. That's good. And they sell more beer at the Army Navy game than they do the whole of the four November internationals. True story. I can imagine. Can mm. you imagine? Can you imagine a a rugby game like that being played out in Saudi Saudi Arabia, like the World Cup, the Footy World Cup, when they just said no beer in the stadiums no, and all that no. sort of stuff? Do you well, imagine? No one would bother going with that. No. What's the point? my old physio years ago um up in wantage she um uh she said to me the one day blah blah blah, uh our friends of mine invited me to a game of rugby and i've never been to rugby before hey you'll love it it's great great sport and i said what are you going to watch she went the army navy down at twickenham it's just like you'll love it i saw her a few weeks later and she was just absolutely out and out a fan like That's from it. one game the army navy game yeah. she was just that was it now yeah. rugby's almost she's got you know she goes all over the world watching it she's got yeah. you know just mad on it mad on it but it's 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 a brilliant sport because both teams both sets of sports can sit next to each other mm. and they can appreciate it. they can they can have a chat and they can have a bit of banter without Players getting thrown, or people getting kicked, or tables mm. and chairs being thrown at each other. I just can't get me head around that. Mm. You see that video the other day of that um, player that got chucked onto the pitch, and then the goalkeeper threw it back into the crowd, and the crowd rushed to the pitch and tried to beat up the goalkeeper. Just like what the hell in Australia? I think it was. I was just like what the hell. Yes, I did see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely mental. I was like, oh, unbelievable scenes. I still, I kind of maintain, and I've always maintained this that all the frustration in in the stadium at a rugby game is taken out on the pitch mm. because it's so physical yeah but in a game of football there's so much frustration because they're not allowed to touch each other they've gone down soft and there's you know in this and it just seems like there's added frustration which i i kind of think is you know does that is that why it spills into the crowd is that why the crowd yeah. just gets so yeah. agitated yeah I think it's a bit of a mixing pot with some, and I, I don't like football, but I can appreciate the skill levels that it takes to kick a ball that far and land it on someone's chest or someone's foot. But for some people, it's an absolute religion, isn't it? Yeah, it's an absolute religion. It's their be all and end all of their week, and if that's what they watch to get themselves through the week, because life is hard, isn't it, Jens? Eh? Life mm-hmm. is hard, especially nowadays. So it's got even harder. But lifestyle, if you get that little bit of escapism, whether it be through football, through rugby, whatever, brilliant. But don't, but it's escapism. Don't, don't let it pile stress onto your already stressful yes, life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, use it as, as something to, to enjoy. Mm. Enjoy the football, enjoy the rugby. 
like you would taking the dog for a walk mm. or taking the kids to the park. Mm. You know, that's, that's enjoyable things. Life's hard enough. Hard enough. Ten hours a day, isn't it? Mm. Don't don't waste the other ones that you're awake worrying about fucking football. Oh, excuse me, worrying about football. Don't worry about it. Um, so, yeah. I think. Go on. Go on. No, it's so spot on. I think. You know, I think before the lockdown, if Northampton or or if England lost at the weekend, it would affect my mood, and it, and it, it generally would. And it was after the Lions tour, the most recent Lions tour, when they lost the Lions tour, and I was supposed to be going out with. Um, like all my mates and stuff like that, I went home. I was genuinely so pissed off and upset that they'd lost that it affected my my mood. And then I spoke to Beth about it, and Beth was like, "You know, like they don't know that you're upset. Those people that you're watching, like it's great you care about it, and it's not saying you shouldn't care about things and stuff like that. But like you said, that was something I was supposed to enjoy, and it was stressing me out." It was stressing me out and it was like affecting me. I don't have that anymore at all. That's cool. Still trying to work on if I, I'm playing and I lose. Well, uh, we're trying to work on that's, that, but that's, that's not, it's not the worst thing. But remember why you play. Exactly. Yeah. You play this game because you love the game. You don't yeah. play the game because you love winning. Yeah. Otherwise, you'd just, you'd fight kids, wouldn't you? Mm. If you had to win all the time, you'd just pick a fight with a five year old every single mm. time. Yeah. 100%. If, if you and, um, up there by the way if anybody wants to buy it <laughs> i've said in there uh, before if you don't love the process because if you love doing what you're doing you're going to want to go and doing it again yeah it's not about the winning because if you want to win once you win that's it but if you love the process you love the training you love the game you love whatever as soon every rugby player out there as soon as the game finishes they might be gutted because they've lost they might be elated because they won but all they want to do is play again all I want to do is, is a, you know, is well, have a couple of beers first. Have a couple of beers then, first. Then yeah. play again. Then play again. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what I mean. It's not. It's not a. All right, we won now. That's it. That's all I was after. That's not the goal. The no. goal is to play and compete and enjoy and. Yeah, absolutely, and that, that that's that's the good thing about playing in the military because you literally just play because you want to play. Isn't there are no leagues? It's no leagues. You have a one-off game, one-off game every year that. Yeah, probably depends a lot on who's away, who's busy, who's not. But it still means a lot, you know. That that to this day, that that Paris game, that Marines Paris game, Trafalgar Cup, two thousand eight, is the most physical game I've ever been involved in. Mm. Did you have to change your playing style when you came to Wimborne out of the military? I had, no I had no playing style, James. I had no playing style. That's why I liked it when it was really pissing down with rain and thick mud because it was a lovely equaliser. I'd excel then. When all the skill factors are taken out and it just comes down to fitness, heart and aggression. Yeah, brilliant. And it starts getting warm and people can wang it 30 yards. Yeah. And they're like that spin pass. Yeah, all of a sudden yeah. I'm like, oh, I look a little bit pedestrian now. Yeah. I think but that's no, testament no, no. to the fact that we got three, uh, um, three of a pack in here rather than any backs. <laughs> no, you know, no. backs listening are probably thinking, oh no, it's great to get it. You yeah. Know, yeah, yeah, we're all about you know, it's it's a forward yeah. mentality, isn't it? That's it. I'm not, I'm not keen for this summer rugby that I keep hearing about. Absolutely not. Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to enjoy my picking goes and murder ball on a miserable, horrible Saturday on a mud bath. See, now, now I'm a pure spectator. I quite like the idea of summer rugby. Yeah. 
Yeah, I like it. I kick my shoes off, walk around in, in in a pair of shorts and a singlet and no shoes. Yeah. I like that. But no, I you know, as a, as a back row, in the way the game was played then, just you you run, you hit, and you know now you you're pretty much an extra centre, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Back row. There's there's seven centres on a pitch now, and then you got the two the two back row, um, the two the two the two um. Second row, a back row now, and everyone's a different different thing now. A hooker's a back row. Yeah, yeah. But they just the professionalism and the athleticism of them, like them guys now. You know, you look at them, you know, yeah, big old lump. But they take the shirt off, they're like, um, what's his name? Caretaker Willie out of uh, Simpsons, <laughs> just stacked up, and as soon as the shirt comes off. But they're they're athletes now. They're athletes. I think we'll probably finish our first half there. Um, uh, half-time announcements. Everybody that's listening, uh, we like to try and promote grassroots rugby. If you've got a club and you've got something you want to promote, then um, please, by all means, get in touch with us on um, info at Be More Rugby or on any of the social medias. Thank you so much, Anne-Marie. Just want to promote Beautiful. our uh, lovely, lovely landlady, uh, Bath Staff. Thank you so yes, much, Anne-Marie. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Come down to Wimbledon Rugby you. Club. Yeah, yeah, you look, at me, you look at me like that again. We're staying. Um, so yeah, halftime announcements. Jay, Litchit ladies, you wanted to talk about? Yeah, yeah. So um, get yourself over to uh, Litchit Rugby's um Instagram page. Um, have a look at what they're doing around the ladies' sort of game. I think they've just recently tra- changed their training day. So if you live in the uh Paul Hamworthy sort of area and you're looking to take up rugby. They're very much just taking people who have never played before and want to learn the game. So uh, head over to their social media and get involved. Fastest growing sport on the planet, women's rugby. Is it? Yeah. Has you been three get, years, yeah. You want to get involved in it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'd love for all clubs to have a, a better ability for, and we've talked about it when we had Shelley Hamblin on, um, you know, back when she was training down at Swans. There was what? What did she say? Like four or five of them would rock up mm. and chuck a rugby ball about. Now they've got a great team. Or oh, they did have a great team. Yeah, they yeah, did they have a great team. Yeah, do. yeah. Much you so, know, yeah. when we was doing the um, when we was getting the kids back into it, return to rugby when everyone yeah. trained together. I loved that. Yeah, yeah, I loved that because really you had you had the young the younger academy training with the older academy and and the girls all together mixing the teams up. Yeah, that was brilliant. Great. It was yeah. brilliant. Yeah, yeah. And they were good times, actually. I think it's so weird because I look back at those times and I remember how I was feeling at the moment. I was like, fuck this. I just want to get back to tackling and like like scrummaging and stuff like that. And I look back at that now. I love that ready to rugby stuff. Like in, in hindsight, like I actually really enjoyed it. I do love a bit of touch every now. I'm shit here, but I do enjoy oh, touch. I detested touch. <laughs> <laughs> so, Litchit ladies, um, there you go. Get down to Litchit if you can. Um, also, as I say, we've got um, Denny Champ on. Um, he's um, uh, the founder of the Start Your Day on Purpose movement and get on his Instagram and give him some love because it's uh, it is really inspirational. And, and yeah, if you can get up in the morning and get on and start your day, you've, you've achieved 99% of what you need to. Exactly. You don't have to have a grand gesture. You know, you do you do something small in the morning. Even an avalanche starts with the first snowdrop that moves, doesn't it? If you get up, you just get up 10 minutes early, have 10 minutes yourself, do a yeah. bit of yoga, 
stretch, have a cup of tea in peace. If you got, if you got the before the kids get up, it doesn't it doesn't matter what you do. Just do something for yourself to put yourself, put your head in the right frame of mind to get your best out of yourself for the rest of the day. And you know, you don't do it all the time. I, I'm guilty of it myself. I'm guilty of not following my own advice. Oh, sorry, I do follow my own advice, but in the wrong way. And I've got out of the habit of making my videos every morning. Mm. I still do the odd bits in the morning, but I just don't make a video. And, and I need to get my head right before I can help everybody else. I'm getting back to that stage now where I'm I'm at a stage where I can start doing it again for everybody else. Because I got the joy I get out of receiving one message from someone. I only set out to help one person a day. That's all I wanted to do, just help one person a day. And that, that was a success for me. And the, I loved it when I got a message or something. But then loved your video this morning. Thanks a lot. You know, I got up and started my day on purpose or whatever. I was listening to a podcast uh, a couple of days ago and uh, uh, um, I can't remember who it was talking about, uh, who was talking, but they were talking about the fact that going, uh, getting up and going there is the the most difficult bit. So if you just go to the gym or if you just go to the rugby club for training or if you just get up and go out the door with your running shoes on yeah that's the yeah. most difficult bit it's, after it's that's book, easy it? it's in a book Char charlie was telling me about this mm. oh i can't remember what it was called oh i can't, I can't remember i have to get back to you on that but yeah the first day set your alarm for the time you can get up and then go back to sleep the second day get out of bed then get back in bed and go to sleep the third day go downstairs the fourth day, get dressed and go downstairs. The fifth, they go out to your car, then go back in. Then get there. The next time, drive to the gym, drive back. I wonder how many people drove to the gym and actually yeah, turned yeah. around and drove mm. back. Probably not yeah. many. The next day, go and do a bit and just build it up and build it up and build it up. Brilliant way of doing it, I think, if you've got the patience. It's like these podcasts. I mean, we're here in an evening. You know, I rock up, it takes me an hour or so to set everything up. Yeah, it's in an evening. I could be at home having some tea and and you know and sitting in front of the telly or whatever. But once you get here and you get set up and you're chatting with people and then you know you turn up, Jay's here on time. Eventually. And once you've done this, this is easy. Yeah. And and if it can help somebody, help them, you know, generally in their daily life, then that's fucking brilliant. But yeah. it's getting here's the making the decision to get here is the difficult bit. Yeah. Once you're here, it's just a breeze. Yeah, it just is. Just, just talking with mates, isn't it? It's all yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Podcast, just talking with mates. Mm, absolutely, best job in the world. Mm. Running podcast. Mm. So yeah, everybody, please follow Denny. Um, try and pester him to um, get some more singing in the shower videos yeah. out there because uh, pester me for the shower. <laughs> Because honestly, uh, even if it's for listening to his dulcet tones uh, <laughs> and his amazing repertoire of pop music, um, it. it's worth it. So second half, um, Danny, this is where we have a chat with you, our guest, um, about what rugby means to you, uh, trying to impart some of the mindset and the and the support and the help. So we tend to start our second half off with a question, uh, what does rugby mean to you? What does rugby mean to me? means a lot to me. It means a lot. And I think especially coming from a military background, people say, do you miss it? Do you miss being in the military? And I never, I've never actually missed being in the military. Mm. I thought I'd miss the guys. And every now and then I do miss the guys. But there's a lot of 
um, a lot of similarities between being in a rugby team and being in a unit. You know, we're all idiots. We'll piss about. We'll do stupid things when we've had too much to drink. But we all have fun. And we're all in it together. And we all go out onto that onto that pitch or that battlefield, whatever way you want to put it. And and you're there for each other. You know, you can stand next to the, I stand next to Lee Calling. I I know he's gonna be there for me. I got Charlie Morgan over side, I know he's gonna be there for me. The same way as Bez was there for me. The same way as Steve Curley was there for me. You know, we're all there for each other and, and I think rugby is has made that transition easy for me of coming out of the military because there's some guys that are completely institutionalized that come out and just can't deal with it just can't deal with it at all there was a, a guy down at the camp and i won't i won't use his name but he'd he come from like i don't know one of these weird little islands out in the Shetlands or somewhere around there anyway, mm-hmm. like 10 people on there. <laughs> and and he joined, he joined the Corps when he was like 16 and he'd done 30 odd years. Didn't know anything else. Yeah. And when it comes to leave, he, he got himself a little flat down in the town, just went to pieces. Yeah. Didn't know how to do anything. Yeah. Didn't know how to pay bills. Didn't know how to do a food shop. Didn't know how to do any of these things because he never had to. And in the end, he ended up moving back onto camp to be uh, like a, a CV driver. But you get out of appeal. They're just completely, completely institutionalized. I don't know how to do it. I was lucky. I was lucky because I had, I had Wimborne Rugby Club to help me make that transition in, into. Don't get me wrong. I was ne- I was never the most, never the most straight laced military man anyway. Yeah, <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, it was it, it was made a lot easier for me, and but I I think a lot, I think I owe more to rugby than I realise. In in that sense, mm. so yeah, so, it means a lot to me. So, what would you say that you've learnt most from rugby that you use most of day to day? What's helped you most? What's helped me most? You got you got to be there for each other, don't you? You got to be there. You know, as I used the analogy earlier, if Jay takes a crash ball as a, as a single runner, I've I've got to get there to help him. Which I often do. I've got, yeah, I've got <laughs> to get there to, to to secure that ball. You know, so we keep it. So we keep going to keep the momentum because you go on your own and you get stopped by four or five, then they're going to get it, aren't they? Mm. If we just go I, and I go with him, I might give somebody else that split second to get there and then somebody else gets a chance and we move and we keep moving forward as a team. You can't, I don't care how good you are, how big and strong you are, you ain't going to run through 15 people on your own. You need each other. And I've realised as I've got older that you can't do everything on your own in any aspect of life. You need good people around you. And I'm, I'm, I'm luckier than most. I've got, I've got some amazing friends, most of them in these four walls. But yeah, I've got, and, and I know I can count on them. And that's in any in, in any aspect of life. In anything. I if I if I rung Steve now, I said Steve, I need you to come down here. My car's broke down. He'd be here in ten minutes. I know he would. Give me shit about it all day tomorrow for ruining his <laughs> dinner, but he'd be here. So yeah, 
that that's that's what I take into normal everyday life. But it is normal everyday life, isn't it? We do it for fun. Yeah, it is normal everyday life, and and but it's like you said, it it means so much. I mean, we, me and my other half, we run our company, and and granted, there's only the two of us, but we bring together teams to do construction work, project management stuff. It's all about being there for each other, and and I always find that all of the contractors we bring on board, I offer them everything I can give them to support them, not because I want them to make a ton of money and and get off site yeah but because i want for them to do their best because if they do their best i've done my best yeah, we've yeah. done our best yeah the you know the the chip has done their best the roof has done his best and the client gets what's the best and everybody benefits from it yep yep and if and if you do your best you might you might not be brilliant at everything but if you do your best then you can you can sit back and say right i can hold up i've got nothing to be ashamed of yeah i like that it's, there's a lot of um, a lot of uh, similar things between a, a rugby team and, and building sites, isn't there? So all these different different bits come together. You know, You've got the big tall scaffolders, all the second second rows, isn't you? They can't do nothing about the the short little fat <laughs> ground workers who are, who are the front row. I'm not saying all ground workers are short and fat or anything like that. So when we start getting the knickers in a twist, ringing up, <laughs> um, but you get my point. You know, you got you got the, I don't know, the, the handsome chippies at the, on the wing or something like that. You know, they can't they can't do anything without each other. The special boy Sparky's at the back. Yeah, yeah. I years and years ago, I was on a, a site for another company, and um, uh, we were working. It was a, a big, big house. Actually, it was um, it's been in a few movies. It was in the King's Speech and in the X Men movies and all that sort of stuff. Oh, wow. and we were doing this big. Um, uh, this big horrendous extension. Oh, might cut that out. This beautiful extension <laughs> on the end of this, you know, ninth century bloody great house. And there was an issue with the ground workers. They were digging a culvert. This culvert went went right there through the place, down through these massive great arched gates. And the screeders were coming in to do the east wing at the same time. And and they'd rocked up and they were bitching each other in a sort of late in the day on the one day. And I was running the east wing site. Um, and the the guy that was running the the extension had fucked off for a holiday or whatever, so I was left with a lot. And I had these ground workers that were adamant they were just going to plough on through this this archway, and these screeders that were adamant that they had to get their equipment in. And I just thought to myself, and and I don't know who told me it was about micromanaging. You can't micromanage that. Yeah. And I thought to myself, um, I'm going to be half an hour late tomorrow morning. <laughs> and I got there half an hour late. And the groundwork crew had put boarding down and they were lifting with the diggers. They were lifting their pump, the pumps for the yeah, yeah. screeders and, and they were all helping each other out. And it was yeah. just like a jolly little sight. Do you know what I mean? And they just got on and helped each other because they needed to all succeed. And it Ta just, it time just is, happened. Time is money, isn't it? Yeah. And they just, it just were like a, just a proper team. Yeah. But, but from, from the day before, one was more important than the other. Yeah. Yeah. Sparky's going to love that. <laughs> just leave that little shitty bits of wire everywhere and that's all they do make a mess <laughs> again Sparky before you get your knickers in a twist it's a joke <laughs> no, it's not no it's not a joke <laughs> so you've helped um, countless people through your Instagram help them mentally so. and uh, and emotionally <laughs> and, and no doubt physically as well and you've been down the club you do you know a lot of fizz and that You've been doing a lot of fizz down the club. Yep. For people that want to get into rugby, 
I mean, you said that it helped you transition from from the military into civilian life, if you like. Yeah. What would you? What would you? What advice would you give people that wanted to get into rugby? Don't be. What's the words I'm looking for here? Don't be overawed by it. You know, don't don't think to yourself, oh, I'm not going to be able to do that. I'm never going to be as big as him. I'm never going to be as strong as him. I'm not going to be able to do that. You know, I, I'm 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 a little bit nervous, and don't be. Because I think the the good thing about rugby is nobody sets out to take the piss out of anybody. You know, you get, and I'll use football as an example. You you'll get someone who's who's got a lot of skills, like one of these Brazilian wingers, and he's spinning around on the ball ten times, and then he'll just knock it with his foot and the skill's amazing how they do it but then it'll go past someone you don't get that in rugby yeah you might have somebody a bit faster and he just shows you the inside and then they'll go on the outside that's life if you're not fast enough then you won't be out there anyway so don't don't be what's the word I'm looking for intimidated by rugby don't 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 beat yourself before you even try. Mm. You know, because everybody, because it is such a team sport and we do rely on each other so much in rugby that everybody brings you along. Everybody will help you. Mm. Andy Unwin said to me when I first, first training session, he said, you're a big lad. Just accelerate into him. Don't just, don't slow down. Accelerate into the contact. Good bit of advice. Mm. So everyone wants to help everybody out. And that's what I'd say. Don't be intimidated by it. Uh, I don't know of another sport that has the ability to accommodate everybody yeah. and every shape and size and every skill level and every... Like, you look at football and you got to be fit, you got to be slim, you got to be fast, you got to be whatever. Yeah. You know, in rugby, it doesn't matter what shape or size you are. Nope. There's a place for you. Yeah, absolutely. If if you're if you're if you can't run hundred meters, but you're not going to get pushed back in a scrum, you're one of the most important people in the in the team. Mm. So where do I fit in then? We, we'll get we'll get where you've got to go soon. All right, we'll find so. we'll find your place eventually, mate. That's the thing. We, if we keep searching, we'll find it, <laughs> <laughs> mate. You, you're 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 a diamond in this team. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate it. For what you do off the pitch, more just as much as what you do on it. Appreciate it, thank you. What would you say, like, in your in your time that you've obviously been at Wimbledon and stuff like that? What would you say is your best memory that you have from from here at the club? Oh. That's some good ones. It's good winning winning the league that year was a good. That was that was that was a good one. It was the last. It was the last day up here. We played Bradford on Avon. And um, it was a lovely hot day, and we we had, we had to. I think Froome, Froome had only had lost the week before or something, so we it was in our hands. So if we won, and Bradford was was struggling that year, if we won, then we'd win we'd win the league, and and we did. And afterwards, everyone was singing, and we had a we had a hog roast and. Drinking from the leg, not just the boot, the leg. We had the leg out. Of the uh, that that was a that was a lovely memory. That was a really good memory. Oh, it's been so many, so many good ones. 
a memory I'll never ever forget is when we um when we had the silence for Carl Kavanagh. Yes. Oh uh, yeah. I'll never forget that. Yeah. Lot lot of memories. Good and bad for, for different reasons, you know. Mm. Not so much bad ones, but good just in a different way. No, like um yeah, I I always liked the 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 coaches back, the bus trips back from away games. Yes. I always liked them, yeah, yeah. especially if you've gone up somewhere and it's a fair old trek and you've had a good win and in good spirits on the way back. That that they were the, they're the ones I liked. Mm. They're the ones I liked. What about when you got uh, lost? When you've lost when you were been away and you're coming back. Well, when you got like lost in the coach on the way back, yeah, lost got lost. You got the, just lost. You've lost the you lost the game. You're in the coach on the way back. <laughs> You're feeling lost within yourself. And it, I never, I never suffered from sulking. I never suffered from sulking because, because I saw it, you know, saw it for what it is. It's something I wanted to do. You know, I'm ru I'm running around, playing a game of rugby that I love with my mates, and then I have a few beers after, and then we. We have a few beers on the coach, mm. sing a few songs, piss about, naked run back from the fish chip shop, yeah. and then you're there. And then back in back into the club where, you know, if if some if the seconds are at home or something, then they're still up here, and all the old boys are up here from their lunch or whatever, you know. Yeah, it's, 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 they're the memories I liked. Singing, singing here at nine o'clock at night or something when Sue's waiting to to close up and <laughs> Tony Edwards is leading this in song and yeah they're, they're the memories I like you mentioned earlier on you said about football being a religion um, to some to, to, to people to, is, to yeah. some yeah and, and I always think there's a lot of pressure and, and nothing against religion or anything like that but a lot of pressure to be a certain way and there's stresses but rugby to me is a, a community it's a lifestyle it's a it's a family yeah so yeah, I think so. Yeah, because you know, so much goes on for it. You know, you've got you got you got the kids that come up on a Sunday, and I think maybe it's because there's, there's it's a lot more accessible because mm. there's more kids straight away, more people straight away, so you've got more families, bigger squads. So there's more people up. It's just a better a better atmosphere because you haven't got I don't know, you haven't got two dads fighting on the on the pitch because someone got offside fun, uh, yeah. ball or for football or something like that you know it's, I think we're just a bit more civilised don't we yeah everybody that's in football including my son get over the rugby side yeah why not what do you reckon Jay yeah I completely agree there's only one sport in my mind <laughs> and darts I enjoy darts Darts. Darts, is, darts is the most exciting sport on TV. Darts, <laughs> darts was fantastic hands down it's the most exciting sport enjoy darts big time love the darts what a what an end to to the game a couple of what was it a week ago when the two they're both on two nine darts yeah yeah I didn't I what didn't I didn't see it went off darts to me back in the day when it was a drinking game that was um yeah, it was good everything was a bit a different bit back then everything was different rucking was different back then darts was ruck, different ruck, back ruck, then ferociously. <laughs> That's it. That's my um that's gonna be my motto now for life. Ferocious. I'll find out his name in a minute. Someone will know his name. I can't remember. No, that's cool. Tim. Tim Wynn. 
Oh, Tim Wynn. Tim Wynn. Yeah, yeah. Got a rough ferocious. I'd expect nothing different from Wimborne. Yeah. <laughs> Tim Wynn. There you go. But it took him 20 minutes to get to the ruck. <laughs> There's the thing. He's chairman of pool now, isn't he? Is he really? Yeah. Oh, he's not. Yeah, he's good. Very good. I think we'll um probably wrap it up there. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Danny, it's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Thank you very really, much. Really, really enjoyed it. Really hoping that you're going to get back on your Instagram. Yes. Want to see more of you. Yes. Um, I think just wrapping things up for me, Um, the, the thing that's sort of stuck with me most of all is you talking about coming out of the military and finding Wimborne and it helping you in that transition because it was, it was that ability to be where you can support and be supported. Yeah, yeah. But I was already, I was already in there. I was already in that. So I was part of two teams. And I was part of the Marines and I was part of Wimbledon. Mm. And it was my choice to leave one, which I think is always easier. You yeah. know, when when you leave something on your own terms, that's that's why that's why I carried on playing. You know, in in 2012, New Year's Day, out here. Pissing down rain on the, on a vets vets New Year's Day game. Two people tackled each other, and they slid into my knee. And I sort of went over them, and that hurt. Got up, couldn't couldn't walk it off. I said, right, let me go and take that up, see if I can get a bit of support. Ice it for ten minutes, and we'll get back on in a bit. Did that, come back on, and I, I was rubbish. I couldn't do anything. Couldn't do anything. Four days later, I went to Norway with the Marines. I ended up having an MRI a few weeks later and I'd ripped the cruciate off the bone. Oh. I'd stretched the posterior so much that it wasn't doing anything. And I'd put a three mil crack in the femur. Oh my. Just through, just through people sliding in. I mean, you know, so I'd done a proper number on it. Danny, what... how do you survive with those sort of... Bit of I've bias. had a bad neck since Saturday yeah. and I've stopped bitching and whinging about I it. I wonder why I kept falling over skiing in agony. Christ, been running around with broken Massive hips. Massive burgan on his back. Yeah, yeah. A... Um, but that was, that was good because I've, I've not had the operation. I just haven't got a cruciate in my right knee. Mm. And I thought, well, no, it feels all right. I've still got a bit of muscle around the leg that, that holds mm. it together. It'd be all right. I'll just tape it up. So I taped... And I've played a few games since then. Um, because I wanted to play and finish on my terms. I didn't want injury to stop me playing. Yeah, and I, and I think leaving the military was on my terms. I didn't have to retire because I'd done my time. I wanted to go. It was time for a new challenge, and I think having Wimborne or any any rugby club for anybody changing something. You've got that, like you said, that support network and a group of guys and a group of mates that you and you all share the same thing with, that you love to do on a Saturday afternoon or a mm. Sunday afternoon or whatever. So yeah, I think that makes it a lot easier. Danny, just just for me, I'm not I, my first. You know, when I was an under eighteen, or I think I might have actually been an under seventeen, but we'll say I was an under eighteen, an eighteen under eighteen, and um, we were in the White Hart and. Uh, and oh, clapping us for the end. They know this story. They know what's coming. Um, and um, I'm there and I've been, we'd been on the pit. There'd been a first team game and I was out. 
injured. Uh, I wasn't playing Colts and that. And I'd been out with the guy. And there was a couple of us that were out with yourself, uh, Chucky, and uh, people like that. And uh, we went to the White Hart and we'd been out. And I must have been eight pints of Guinness deep. And at the time, that's quite a lot of volume. And I'm stood there at the White Hart up against the bar. And Denny's been there and he's chatting to me. And we were talking about bits and pieces and stuff. And I'm absolutely bollocks. And I'm rocking like that. And he just goes, um, excuse me, can he get some black currant in his Guinness, please? Because I, Denny was like, I'll get you another drink, mate. And literally, I'm like, this is is the Guinness has gone down that much. I literally couldn't drink another drop. Denny taught me the black currant trick. Oh, that thing went down <laughs> like a dream. Another three pints later, and it was chundered all over the white yeah, house toilet yeah. floor, and we went again the next and week. I've, and I've never actually had black currant in Guinness. I don't like it. <laughs> I'm with you. I don't like, absolutely. I don't like it. I think, absolutely, I think it's the worst. It's it's heresy. But yeah, no, it helped you out that night, didn't it? Certainly did. Certainly did. Appreciate it then. And uh, I think that's why I did that in Edinburgh as well when I was struggling. And uh, But now I get to like 11, 12 pints and then I can go to the gin and tonic, which is something you also taught me as well. Is moving <laughs> to the gin, so something spot on. So I, I appreciate you teaching me how to drink. There Jenny. you go, kids. Elongating piss-ups since uh, 2006. <laughs> <laughs> Well, no, thank you. It. Thank you so much, Danny. Um, as I say, um, anybody that's listening, if you're enjoying what we're doing, give us a like, a follow us. That would be brilliant. Um, follow Denny on his Instagram. I tell you, it's um, it's inspirational. And yeah, what a guy to follow if you ever want to follow a guy. Um, Jay, thank you so much for today. No, sorry I was late. No worries. Denny, thank you ever so no, much. Thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. And to everybody, till next time, rug ferociously. <laughs> <laughs> and be more rugby. Thank you.